Hello and welcome to The Grain Insights, a monthly podcast brought to you by Ag Farm, where we discuss all things grain, how the industry has evolved over the years, what it looks like in its current states, and what the experts predict it will become in the future. I'm your host, Chris Corr, and for our inaugural episode, we have Lloyd George from Ag Science here to talk to us today about the grains industry. How are you today, Lloyd? Uh, well, thanks, Chris. A little bit of background on Lloyd. Lloyd has been in the Australian grains industry for upwards of three decades and has seen a lot of change over that time. He wears a lot of different hats. Lloyd is a journalist writing for a major rural weekly newspaper. He's an educator where he runs a training courses for Grain Trade Australia on understanding grain markets. Lloyd also runs a successful grain information and analytical business, AgScientia, that aims to make sense of what's happening in the Australian and global grains markets by providing services to a wide range of Australian and global customers. I originally met Lloyd in 2010, where he was facilitating a course on grain markets and have worked closely with Lloyd ever since. So Lloyd, without further ado, can you please give us a background on how the grain industry in Australia has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years? Chris, um... I guess in a word, it's we've seen some, yeah, uh, some, some massive change in the, in the last 10 to 15 years and changes in, in all elements of the market. A little over a decade ago, the, the, the export market was deregulated. So we've gone from a, um, uh, a regulated export market to one where there's no controls. At the time, uh, that change was massive. Probably the biggest change in, in uh, wheat marketing in Australia in, 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 yeah, in, in the past 50 or 60 years. We've seen droughts that have uh, been quite crippling at times and we're still in the midst of one now. Uh, we've also seen in, in the last few years, uh, we've seen our two of our biggest harvests ever. And that wasn't just Western Australia, that was the East Coast as well. We've seen some uh, absolutely massive changes. One of the one of the biggest changes to me that we've we've actually seen is probably the unforeseen changes that I think have actually come out of the deregulation process as well, and that's been the rapid expansion in the de, in the domestic demand, particularly on the east coast, and all, most of that's on the east coast. If you consider that uh, of Australia's uh, domestic demand, which is say around about twelve million tons of grain. 80% of that's on the East Coast. And a lot of that growth has actually occurred in, in the past 10, 12 years. So we've seen some enormous change. With deregulation brings increasing competition. Uh, we've seen that in the grain space. Uh, we've seen investment from that competition. Do you think the Australian grower has benefited from the, uh, from the deregulation? Oh, I think absolutely, undoubtedly. And, and, and the benefit is, is very easily measurable and the benefit's in price. Now, admittedly, in some in there, and particularly in the recent years, um, part of that price increase has been you know, the detriment of the farmer because it's been drought driven. But notwithstanding that, prices have increased. Grain prices to the farmers relatively impre- increased, and that's about increased competition. And what's driving that price increase is because we're just consuming more and more of what's produced on the east coast in the east coast. Uh, so what the East Coast producer actually, the East Coast grain consumer has to do is to, they have to compete to make sure that that grain doesn't get exported. And so they do that by pushing up the price to make sure that that doesn't occur. And uh, when you consider that in, a, in an average uh, East Coast production year, probably about two thirds of the grain that's produced is going to be consumed domestically. 
Um, and so when, when we have a circumstance uh, like a drought, like we actually have seen that's now extended for two seasons, there's just not enough grain on the East Coast uh, to, uh, to meet those needs. And we, uh, we, need to, we need to bring in those supplies from elsewhere. And uh, in, the, in the past 18 months, uh, we've seen upwards of 2 million tonnes of grain brought around from primarily WA, but some South Australia as well, uh, by boat into, into, into Queensland and, and, and a bit into New South Wales and a little bit into Victoria as well. So, Lloyd, moving forward, the current structure uh, of the Australian grain space, we are seeing uh, uh, quite a large uh, and growing trend of more domestic consumption due to livestock feeding in Australia. Uh, where do you see the current uh, landscape at the moment, and and more so for Australia in particular? Where do you see the the next ten years going? It's probably it's probably more of the more of the same. That change into livestock feeding, uh, or that those increases in livestock feeding, you know, the reasons behind them are, are probably you know, there's there's multiple. I think you know, one what we actually are seeing, and and we've probably seen this over the past. You know, six, seven years, we're actually seeing um, some de-risking by grain farmers, particularly in the likes of New South Wales, where they're actually cutting back on their on their on their farming enterprises. Uh, and 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 reasons behind that, to my way of thinking, is yeah, it's it's expensive business putting crops in, and yes. we we live in a um, uh, yeah. And, and, and we operate in an environment and a weather system where you know, weather is volatile and uh, you, know, you get the good years and, and we're seeing plenty of bad ones as well. And when you, you know, spend a lot of money putting crops in and you don't get a return on it, that can be devastating for a business. So we're seeing some, some downsizing in New South Wales, only in probably the five, six years, probably some areas we've, we've cut back on planted acres by probably up to a quarter. Um, so it actually has, has been significant. And, and farmers are swinging back into back into livestock, um, and uh, so they can better better manage that risk and cut back on the planted areas. It's not going away. Um, you know, you know, cropping is still an integral part of that, um, and and we are seeing more of their production go on to into their own livestock, but also being sold into other enterprises. And some of those enterprises are uh, you know, cattle on feed and, and lamb, as I, as I said before, but also just the, you know, poultry, the poultry industry, which continues to expand. It's growing at, you know, has been growing at around about that 3 to 4%. It's probably backed off a little bit in the last while. Yes. But, yep. but it's still the cheapest protein in Australia. So, so, so the poultry industry will, will continue to expand at, at, at that rate as, uh, to keep up with the domestic demand. I think you're right. It, you know, I think people have definitely looked to uh, diversify their, their farming operations with a lot more livestock, uh, in particularly probably uh, more post-deregulation. Uh, and even farms that aren't participating in the livestock side of things are becoming very good at understanding grain markets and the domestic grain complex, like you said before, investing in on-farm storage so they can uh, capture the, the domestic premiums where they can, mainly in South Australia and uh, east coast of Australia. Uh, so, yeah, definitely we are seeing quite a shift uh, in grower behaviour, whether it's through their marketing of their grain or uh, um, looking at more on-farm uh, livestock feeding programs as well. And that's certainly the case, Chris. I mean, even in how the farmer has gone about marketing the grain, and, and, and in particular, the timeframes in which they go about marketing the grains, if we go back into that deregulated market, 
essentially most of the grain production was marketed in a in a fairly tight window um, in or closely around uh, the harvest period. So we typically see, I always thought probably about seventy five percent of the crop would get marketed in that 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 that, that harvest window. Yes. Um, now that pattern has completely changed. I think it's completely reversed now. We're essentially seeing probably only about 25% of the grain, maybe 30% of the grain that's getting sold through that harvest window. And, and the remainder of that grain is actually getting sold through the rest of the year. And essentially mm. what the farmer is doing, and this is particularly the East Coast farmer, and it varies when you get across to Western Australia, um, but what they're aiming to do is they're essentially trying to average their price and average that that the benefit of that you know, strong demand, that strong domestic demand on the East Coast um, um, uh, by selling their crop over the, the, the marketing, over, over the, you know, the, the crop window, the marketing year window um, and averaging their price. And because of that strong demand, they're typically benefiting and they're benefiting pretty well. And I also agree with that comment. I- I think, as you know, in any markets, you never buy the lows and sell the highs. It's definitely an average game on both sides uh, when you enter and exit a market. Uh, and also the complexity around the different market structures and dynamics uh, from a Western Australian grower versus South Australian grower versus an East Coast grower. They're all looking at different markets, different homes, different weather patterns that's affecting you know their crops. Um, so the Australian grain sector has also become very complex and difficult uh, in, in most years for growers to understand what's really driving markets because a lot of the, the depending on which coastline of Australia you live on, you're being affected by different markets, export markets, domestic markets, and also weather patterns on top of that. Absolutely. And and the uh, how how a Western Australian farmer would go about trying to uh, uh, maximise uh, their grain returns over over a twelve month window would be very different um, to the to the way about the East Coast farmer goes about it. Um, yeah, they they haven't invested uh, in the um, in the on farm storage because it's not domestic demand that's driving their their business. It's 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 in uh, the vast majority of the cases, um, it's uh, it continues to be export and and um, and so uh, their their objective is 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 widening uh, basis or or the premium to to global markets um, by by uh, holding off their selling or, or ramping it up when when uh, that basis relationship is at, it wide, at its widest or, or the premium's greatest. Yes. So, no, look, I think we've uh, we, we've touched on um, a lot of the domestic uh, dynamics, mainly around the East Coast and, and Port Adelaide zone. What do you think more of the Western Australia grower um, who focus on the key traditional Southeast Asian demand markets, what, what are we seeing from the likes of Russia, Ukraine, the Black Sea region, um, yeah, we've obviously well, we've seen tremendous growth uh, in their outputs, but what does it really mean for the Australian sector? It 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 clearly means increased competition, and 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 that trend has been there, uh, you know, for the past five or six years. Uh, we've we've seen uh, Russian Ukraine that that combined Black Sea wheat production area. Uh, up until um, the last uh, a couple of years, that that they'd grown five record large crops in a row, um, and uh, and the Black Sea country has got some real competitive advantages in grain production. Uh, mm. The soils are very good. Uh, rainfall is good. Their average yields are, are, are some of them are exceptional, close to the Black Sea, mm. and um, and uh, so. Um, um, they're, 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 
Yep, they've they've gone from a, a small exporter um, uh, of of wheat. You know, um, going back probably seven years ago, only less less than five percent of world trade. To to more recently, where they've climbed up to in excess of a third of world trade, um, and um, and it's very competitively priced. Uh, the Black Sea has got their act together, um, uh, not only in production but also in infrastructure, and in, and increasingly on quality. Um, um, so the government um, has invested he- heavily, as has private industry, uh, in infrastructure over there. Uh, that's that's uh, helping to, to to get the crop out uh, uh, more quickly through the year, um, and they've also got their 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 uh, their quality. Um, of the product um, are much more consistent uh, than what we've seen in the past. Now that that's brought about change in in our area, particularly into Asia, as 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 Asian buyers gear themselves up to take advantage of that black sea crop. Yes. Um, some of the and some of our nearest and 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 Indonesia, for an example, um, some of the largest flour mills in Indonesia have actually changed rations to take advantage of that cheaper black sea wheat. Um, so what that's meant for the for, for, for Australia is that um, it's more difficult for us to demand the premiums that we did get over black sea wheat in the past. Um, so 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 things things are changing. And what's been um, look obviously. The increase in production and yield um, has been through the better soils, better farming techniques, um, but the the more consistent quality that we have been seeing coming out of the Black Sea region. What's been driving that? Is it is it more the investment side of things from a port uh, from a port uh, perspective? Is it better farming practices just over time evolving? Um, is it better on farm equipment? You know, better headers and tractors and seed and what's been the main driver of that more consistent quality? Chris, I think it's probably a mix of all of the above, but 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 also on top of all of those will be um, uh, more consistent practices on how they manage the grain through the supply chain, and to make sure that they are uh, having you know they're keeping out the impurities, uh, but they're listening to their customers in Asia, um, and and they're implementing implementing measures. Uh, to, to improve the quality. Um, and uh, certainly in the past uh, three or so years, there's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the feedback through various kind of global um, uh, customers that they're saying that uh, Asian buyers are largely happy with the quality that they're getting. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that they're still not having their hiccups, uh, but by and large, and you can see it on, 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 on market activity, that um, uh, Australia's Australia's market share into key markets has fallen and fallen fairly sharply. We uh, go back you know, probably uh, 2012-13. Australia had about 70 percent market share in, into Indonesia. Uh, in the in the latest marketing year, that's going to fall to around about 10 percent. Now that hasn't been one year; it's been a gradual change. And, extraordinary. Uh, and and uh, the Asian the Asian buyers are gradually getting themselves more comfortable with those qualities. And as I said, they've they've they've, they've changed their their grists to take advantage of of that of that cheaper wheat. And some of those some of those changes haven't been easy because one of the benefits of the Australian wheat to them has always been that it's been a white wheat, and so the colour of the noodles was uh, was was whiter and brighter, and and the consumers actually like that. 
um, that um, you know they've they've gone to some efforts to say um, to the customers to, to to start to change some of those things because clearly um, that flour millers are, are also driven by margin and they realise that they can make a lot better margin uh, by by altering. Um, and working with consumers on, um, on 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 changing some of those practices, and they've they've done that. I think the other thing that I have noticed um, over the last five ten years myself is, uh, you know, Russia, Ukraine, even South American um, politics and governments have, have been um, becoming more and more reliant on the agricultural sector than they ever have been, and, and there has also been that push from a macroeconomic level um, from some of those governments around the world now to. To keep expanding their, their agricultural output um, because it's just underwriting so much GDP for some of these countries as well. Uh, and that is absolutely the case, Chris. Uh, the Black Sea, Russia in particular, Ukraine as well, uh, Argentina, um, you know, uh, to the extent the government is heavily involved uh, in, in Russia um, in improving that, that infrastructure uh, because it is now a, a, a major source of foreign income. Um, previously, they'd gone up and down as as crude oil prices had gone up and down, yeah. and uh, the economy the economy was good when crude was good. The economy was bad when it wasn't. Now, more recently, um, uh, it's been it's been the grain exports uh, that are actually leading the way in a lot of that foreign income growth. So, government the government loves it. Now, where do you think this this current spending and investment and growth in some of these black sea markets that we discussed on the production side? Are we hitting a peak here? Is is there further room for upside? Is there further disruption for the Australian exporter, mainly around wheat exports into Southeast Asia? Um, Chris, I think that the the strong export competition just isn't going to go away. I mean, that's 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 a reality from it. I think if we if we step back a little bit and say, okay, well, what messages can we take out of that? This is we as in Australia. Um, is uh, you know, and and this is by observing our customers' actions. Is that is that you know, Australia, you know, their role in in in, in you know, traditionally has been we're putting out a, a high quality milling wheat, um, and we're de- demanding a premium for that. Um, yes. And in that high quality milling wheat, presumably we suffer some yield disadvantages because we're targeting on that quality. Um, what we have seen in the past 10 years is that our, our key customers um, and, and traditionally what have been our best paying customers have said, uh, we, we are moving uh, for price over quality. And so Australia's got to take that message on board and, and say, at maybe there comes a stage where we've got to look at and saying, do we need to re-look at um, um, our, our, uh, our inputs as to have we got this Quality quantity mix right in our, in in our uh, the the yields and the varieties that we're actually growing, um, and yes. so no doubt I think that that question will be it'll be being asked already uh, because the, the the changes that we're seeing they're not going to they're not going to go away and it's not only the Black Sea we can actually see it out of Argentina as well. Uh, where, where global buyers and, and what have been our key customers are moving on cheaper grain um, and, 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 and dialing back on how much of the higher quality grain that they're putting into their, putting into their mixes. And so we're going to take on board that message. Yeah, and I know that you and I were both discussing this not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I think that the biggest learning curve for me um, for the last 12 months in this grain environment has been what is in elastic demand nowadays for Australia. 
uh, everyone, I believe, is calling it too high um, uh, just because of that pure uh, getting forced out uh, by the Black Sea region and other regions in, into the Southeast Asian market. And we've also seen that uh, over the last three seasons in Australia where wheat becomes wheat. There is no price difference post-harvest of wheat. And even in this year, we've seen barley being the same price as wheat, which is very normal. It, it, it's, it's that, you know, th- th- there's always a lot of discussion what is inelastic demand and um, and inelastic demand is constantly changing um, because, uh, and, 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 and with the, the pace of that decline of our market share into, into Indonesia, it, it, it really speaks volume for how quickly things can actually change. To go from 70% to 10% is massive. Now, yes. admittedly, we've seen some pretty horrendous droughts in that period of time. Now, that's, that's, that's changed things. But also, we can't ignore that, that our, our overseas customers have been given choice and they're voting with their feet on that choice. Um, and 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 winning them back after they've 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 they've, they've changed configurations to take advantage of of, of cheaper grain, uh, cheaper wheat that won't be easy. So bring it back again now to Australia. So we you know we have touched on Australia becoming more maybe a value add player in the future rather than being a bulk exporter of commodities as we have been traditionally. Um, one of the things that we have seen as well, due to the uh, the unfortunate and horrendous drought we have seen on the east coast and the other parts of Australia, um, has led to us exporting grain from Western Australia and uh, by by sea and and South Australia by road and rail uh, up to feed the uh, the domestic men on the east coast. What was your learnings and lessons around around the last twelve months of, of so much grain being shifted such far distances uh, that you can you know you can talk about? It's, I guess it, it, it tells us a lot about the, the, the Australian grain market dynamics. Um, so we've got this, and in, in overall terms, you know, we've gone from, you know, going back 10, 15 years ago, the East Coast has been, um, most, of its, most of its wheat went for export. Um, and, and to the extent that you would only see a quarter of that crop that would, that would be consumed domestically. Now, now that's completely reversed now. Um, now, in, in, in an average yield year, not that we've seen an average yield year for the past two or three, um, around about two-thirds of that average wheat crop would get consumed domestically. So, so that, that tells us a lot about market behavior on the East Coast. Um, so the function of the market is, is more so to retain wheat for domestic consumption rather than to push it out. So, so the game's completely changed. Now, with the, the East Coast market's a complex market. Um, we've got, we've, uh, um, um, the, the North is largely driven by cattle on feed, um, with, with, you know, Queensland's got 60% of the cattle on feed numbers in Australia and, and the other, you know, 30% is in, in uh, New South Wales and, and the, the remaining 10% is spread across the other states. New South Wales, um, it's, it's complex, but we've got, we've got uh, big, big flour milling, we've got large cattle on feed, we've got big poultry, um, there's a lot of things going on. And, 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 and in, in the dairy market, it drives... Victoria, but yes. we can end up with surpluses in the north, deficits in the north. I should say very, very easily. But getting that grain into the right position up into the north is expensive. It costs around about 
uh, $100 a ton to transport grain about a thousand kilometers. So if we do end, yes. end up by truck, so if we end up with a, a deficit in the north, to shift that up from the south into the north, is, that's expensive. And so all of a sudden we build into this volatility into the East Coast, the East Coast grain market. Now that volatility is here to stay because as I said earlier on, a larger, uh, yeah, a larger and larger share of the crop needs to be retained. And so as, as, as that domestic demand continues to grow, that task, that volatility, that, that just stays high. And so that's just a normal function of it. As you said, this year we've, uh, we've seen grain and grain move across from the West and to a lesser extent South Australia in volume as well. Now it just happens to be that it also costs about $100 to go from WA port to be shipped around by boat through through Brisbane and then trucked up to the Darling Downs into a feedlot. So you know, we've got these $100 swings that can happen and happen really quickly. That is just an inherent factor of the, of the East Coast grain market. Well, thanks, Lou. We talked uh, a lot about the livestock sector here. What, do you, what have you been seeing more recently and, and what do you see over the next five to ten years potentially on the milling side for, for the wheat industry in Australia? The, the milling industry is, you know, you know, primarily most of the milling industry is driven um, uh, just on our in, you know, domestic consumption. Um, I think the, the broad patterns on domestic consumption is uh, going into uh, for, for, for flour, um, has been uh, probably a downtrend in in, in demand, um, and um, uh, but of the subset of the flaming industry is clearly the um, is the is the industrial wheat, um, which which and it's a it's a you know, a fine divide line uh, between some some areas of the flaming industry is there as well. And, and recently we've seen uh, Manildra importing wheat from Canada to, uh, to keep their processes going. Manildra is the, is the major uh, industrial wheat um, um, processor in Australia and, uh, and they're importing uh, um, a significant volume of wheat from, from Canada as we speak now. Um, that, um, you know, Clearly, you know, margins on that are going to be really difficult uh, um, to, to, to import wheat from overseas and process it and, and turn it into products in Australia uh, when it's being transported across the world and, uh, and then turned into byproducts in Australia. Um, uh, that's, that's clearly going to be uh, – that's margins on that must be difficult. And I think that also highlights the, uh, how difficult this drought has been for this industry to overcome. Uh, you know, it's obviously that that play there was was more about guaranteeing quality um, than, to your point, a price point. Uh, you know, and that that's been the, one of the hardest things. Some of these niche, inelastic demand, dom- domestic demand points, having to now look for alternative supplies because of this drought in Australia. Absolutely, and I think I think you touched on it there too, Chris. Is that there's 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 various components of the impacts of this drought. Um, some, of the, some of the things uh, that, that, that end users have, have had to deal with is the here and now supply issues. Um, I've got contracts um, as an end user um, to supply products and I need to keep, you know, I need to fulfill those contracts. But over a period of 12 months and 18 months, um, um, end users will be 
starting to ask the question, have I got my, uh, can I, am I producing these products in the most efficient means that I possibly can? And um, over time, I, I do expect that we're going to see some of these businesses re-look at how they're going about things and whether or not that they can they can do things in a more profitable mix and that may be by relocating some of their processes um, or or choosing um, that they they may not continue doing it it's going it's going to take a long time for us to recover from from the drought that we've actually seen over the past you know, 18 24 months Oh, thank you, Lloyd. It's been a very interesting discussion you know, around the backgrounds since deregulation of the grains industry and what we have, have seen. And, and I think uh, more recently, the challenges we've all had to face as an industry around the droughts. Um, obviously, it's always topical. Uh, the Black Sea and South America and other countries um, taking market share away from Australia, especially in our export markets. But I think it's, we touched on it. And I, I think it's right to say that Australia probably needs to start looking at other ways of adding value to the grain industry, you know, whether it's through value add, through turning grain, which is a carbohydrate energy source, into a protein source through animals, uh, and exporting that, and just adding value back into the dairy industry. It's obviously a huge and interesting uh, industry that's it's always evolving and, and always gaining market shares in different places around the world. Um, but the challenges have been significant, and this drought will take quite a long time to rebalance uh, and for us to, to actually get back to a, a what is a normal year for us. So. Thank you to all of our listeners today. Uh, in particular, thank you very much, Lloyd, for sharing your insights and knowledge. Thank you, Chris. This is our first podcast, The Grain Insights. We've enjoyed having you here, Lloyd. Thank you. If you want to hear more from Lloyd, uh, please feel free to drop us an email at graininsights at agfarm.com.au. And we'd be more than happy to put you in touch with Lloyd. That's it for the inaugural episode of Grain Insights. If you've liked what you've heard this episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends to tune in next month for our second episode of the Green Green Insights. Thank you very much for it again.